0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I am geeking out over today's episode because I get to sit down and talk to celebrity Ben Higgins. You know, Ben Higgins from season 20 of The Bachelor, one of the most recognizable bachelors in bachelor history. But before I do, I just have to remind you that my wife's life-changing weekend event, The Bliss Project, is coming up in March and it is over 90% sold out. There's only a handful of tickets left. So if you're a woman or, or you know a woman who is seeking happiness, seeking tribe, seeking purpose, all of that comes together for you during this long weekend, The Bliss Project. So go check it out. If you're curious, poke around the website, theblissproject.info. Again, theblissproject.info. Check it out and grab one of the last tickets if you think that weekend is for you in March. Now, I'm about to sit down with Ben, and again, most of you know Ben from his time on season 20 of ABC's The Bachelor. But what you may not know is that the show has allowed Ben an enhanced platform to share what he's most passionate about, which is his faith and best of all, his hope for humanity. I mean, he is making a massive difference. He's got this amazing startup called Generous International, which most of you know or have heard of as Generous Coffee Company, where 100% of profits are given back to social causes. Wow. And he's using his massive fame, like over mil, you know, 1.5 million followers on Instagram, and I don't know how many millions more on other social media platforms, to talk about what really matters, you know, what makes the world a better place, and, and what we need to wake up and pay attention to. Matter of fact, we have a great conversation about growing up in the Midwest and having our eyes opened once we got out to some of the coasts and had some larger experiences. And you're going to want to stick around to the end, because he makes a bold prediction of what will absolutely make or break your company over the next few years. So get ready, focus in, listen up, because this episode is absolutely remarkable. Ben, my man, thank you so much for making some time to be on with me today.
1: I could not be happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, totally. My pleasure. So grateful that we got set up to do this podcast. Now, everybody knows who you are. Even I, and I got to admit, I don't watch that much Bachelor, but even I knew who you were. Um, Ben Higgins from season 20 of ABC's The Bachelor, but that's not why I was so interested in talking to you today. I was so interested in talking to you because you really represent what this podcast is about. You know, we've got that tagline, when good people make good money, they do great things. And in your case, you could add, when good people have great influence, they do great things. And that's exactly what it at least appears that you're doing with your life post-bachelor. Am I right?
1: Uh, You know, it feels weird for me to say, yes, I'm doing great things. But I am trying, I guess, really hard to do something um, that gives back and something that adds uh, more life to this world than, than anything else.
0: Mm, I absolutely love that mission. So let's talk about the low hanging fruit that everybody wants me to ask you about first yeah. and that you're probably so tired of ask, uh, answering, but it's, it's the juicy stuff to start. So, yeah. um, let's talk about influence and fame. What was life yeah. like before the bachelor versus after?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, my life, I grew up in Indiana, uh, in a small town and my, my desires and my, I guess my worldview were, were fairly small. Um, I think growing up in the Midwest, I, I didn't have a, a very uh, large perspective of the world. And all of a sudden, you know, I find myself on uh, The Bachelorette. And uh, that happened through some ironic circumstances that I was asked by three different people in like three different days if I'd be interested in going to a casting call. And I said no. And then they said, well, can we sign you up for the show? And then I said yes. And then before I knew it, I was showing up to Los Angeles on The Bachelorette. <laughs> Um, you know, fast forward through that whole experience, which was a great one, and and I met a lot of great people, and I, but I was shell shocked the whole time while I was on that show. Right, uh, uh, there's cameras, and there's people, and there's people from all over the U.S., and there's people that did, maybe didn't believe the same things I believed, or maybe didn't have the same worldviews that I I had, and I had never really experienced that in my life. Um, I leave that show. Uh, Caitlin asked me to go home, and and that that was fair of her. And before I knew it, I was asked to be the bachelor and that's where this whole thing kind of blows up. Uh, being the bachelor, uh, is a, a very odd experience. Um, it definitely comes with its fame. You are the one person, uh, that leads the highest rating rated reality or one of the top three highest rated reality television shows, definitely the highest rated dating show, um, on television. And you're carrying a franchise, in a sense, uh, that is worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And people want to see you and, and see your story. And so before I knew it, within six months, I had gone on The Bachelorette, been announced as The Bachelor, and then was on The Bachelor dating uh, 28 beautiful women who came to, to date from all over the world.
0: Amazing. Uh, I've got to ask, you know, we had that similar upbringing from the Midwest and you had mentioned when you got on The Bachelorette and and The Bachelor, all of a sudden you saw many different worldviews that perhaps you didn't see growing up. And I want to be very careful how I phrase this because I mean it with the utmost respect. Like the Midwest is an awesome place to grow up. It's good morals, good work ethic, great family values and all that stuff. But I remember getting out to California and almost feeling... A little bit apologetic for not having wide enough or open enough worldviews and, and quickly changed that as an adult. Did you have that same shell shock?
1: Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I think you're you're spot on. I I remember the first couple of weeks, and it's funny that the Bachelorette represents such a big life change to me. It, it's kind of, in a sense, that's almost embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but I have to own it because it's true. And I remember those first couple of weeks on the Bachelorette. Uh, you know, being so uh, just feeling very insecure about my lack of knowledge or my lack of insight or the fact that I didn't have opinions on specific either political topics or religious topics or maybe just topics when involves how you raise your families. Um, I was, uh, I guess, a fish out of water. And and as a result, I, I kind of secluded to my own little world for a long time during that show. And and that show really does represent some of the biggest Growth, I would say, and, and life change for me, um, even to this point in my life.
0: Was it weird having that big of of a life growth right in front of you know how many millions of people?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that that's the crazy part, and it was unexpected. And I think that's the thing that maybe made it the most difficult was I went on the Bachelorette nervous about the, the wrong things, nervous about the cameras, and nervous about you know, being in Los Angeles, which I had never been to before that show. And instead, once I found myself inside this world, I realized very quickly that I, I, I was living a, a new reality in a sense. And, and so, yes, it, it was definitely something that was unexpected and, and very difficult.
0: So what growing up and, and right before this opportunity presented itself, what did you want to do? what did you think you were going to be doing as an adult?
1: Um, what I want to do, I I, I wanted to be a salesman. Um, I liked people. I've always enjoyed people, and I've always enjoyed um, the idea of interacting with people. I've I've had a desk job. I had a desk job for a long time, and um, I, I realized there that I wasn't meant to sit behind a computer and talk to a computer. I was I I was born to to be outside of of an office. And so when I was even younger, uh, I enjoyed speaking, um, about new products or speaking about the world. And and I think my, my, I I couldn't tell you a specific job I wanted, but all I knew and all I wanted to do was deal with people.
0: Yeah. I, I definitely have that same aspect to my personality trait. So does that mean that this newfound fame was easy for you to, to live with? In a sense, Chris, that's
1: nobody's ever asked me that question. You know, I think it's interesting. You get uh, blamed a lot for, okay, desiring fame or pursuing fame and, and those things. I, I know I've, I've gotten that criticism and most people that are in the spotlight do. Um, I think what happened to me is I it doesn't bother me. And and so I can accept it a little easier maybe, or I can live with it a little more. It doesn't keep me up at night. The idea that people know my name or know, every, you know, sometimes every move I make or every mistake I make doesn't bother me. And so as a result. I think I live in it a little easier than some might.
0: So let's talk about that a minute. One of the things that holds, you know, the entrepreneurs and influencers and all the people listening back oftentimes is that fear of judgment. And yeah. I mean, boy, did you put yourself out there. How did you learn to cope with some of the trolls or negative comments or things that would be said? Yeah. You know, for me, it took a while. Uh, I think at first it's just, really odd that so
1: many people have a, uh, an opinion about your life. And so you're at first, you're trying to wrap your head around the fact that people actually care. And then I think the follow up, the the next step in in that process is, is accepting it and understanding that some people have very strong opinions on certain topics. And then you realize, and I think this is the key moment, and not everybody can do it, but I, I was kind of forced into it because my friends uh, are, are all about tough love. My family is all about tough love. They didn't let me become the victim. They didn't let me, they they sometimes let me accept the criticism because they would tell me, yes, you were wrong, but they never let me blame anybody else but myself. And so as a result, I started to feel more comfortable about the decisions I was making. And I realized at that point that people were always going to be critical. No matter what side you fell on, I could try to do the best thing, the perfect thing the right thing i would try to treat everybody and i I would watch the show back or i'd see how it interact in life and i'd say okay nobody could criticize this moment i knew where my heart was at i knew what i was trying to do i didn't mess this one up and i would read on social media or i'd I'd see a write-up and i'd say oh somebody found fault in that still and i just realized that i wasn't going to make everybody happy and 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 i think the the decision there is you either kind of throw your hands up in the air and go i'm just going to do me and and i'm not going to let anybody's opinions affect me or you're going to say okay i'm going to listen to everybody's opinions stay open to their opinions, stay open to the criticism, but also be confident enough in myself to sometimes know that I have to reject some of that criticism because I know what my intentions were.
0: Yeah, there's real power, right? There's real freedom in that moment where you actually realize that you can't make everybody happy. Uh, Exactly. And I think one of the most detrimental things that I did,
1: my friends do, that I see around me is that moment where maybe the unhealthy option is to say, I just don't care. I'm just, I I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I think that's where people start to lose themselves. I think the power, like you just said, is where you admit, Hey, I'm not going to make everybody happy, but I'm going to continue to be convicted when I am doing something wrong. I'm going to stay open to that, but I'm always going to stay aware of where my intentions are. And as long as you feel like your intentions are pure then I would say pursue whatever decision that is.
0: Mm, I love that. Okay, so let's take that word intentions and, and kind of go from there. Before you got on the show, did yeah. you have the intention of saying, All right, this is gonna be a great opportunity for notoriety? I'm gonna use it for good, or was that something that came to you after you realized you had all this notoriety?
1: Yeah, so it was I, I kind of lived in this weird season of reality television where, especially on The Bachelor, I think today in 2018, we we recognize the bachelor contestants as uh, social media influencers, or they have influence on the world through, through whatever means they choose. When I was on the bachelorette in 2015, uh, Instagram was not as big as it was, is today. Twitter was really the the big, you know, social media platform. Facebook obviously was out there. And so we had that web-based system, but um, there wasn't a lot of fame that was associated with this show. It all happened after my season of The Bachelorette was done and then going into my season of The Bachelor. So I, I those two seasons of that show were really the, the first generation of people that did have fame or did have long, I, I guess, the ability to have long-lasting fame or influence in this world. And so when we went on The Bachelorette, I, I remember talking to a few guys in, in our uh, in the house one night and they're like you know what happens after this show what, what what's life like and some of the producers would say you know could be very much the same as it was before um or you know one of you may you know you some of you might go on to do a second show and, and you know you'll be seen that way and I don't think anybody could have expected the complete um life change that that show could bring because that all happened right after that show
0: yeah, totally. And and you woke up after the show, and and here's this you know huge fame that you have, and you're recognized everywhere. Do you feel like you have a responsibility to use your influence for good, or is it just simply a choice because that's who you are?
1: Um, I mean, it's always a choice. I you know I think for me and and where my faith lies, and and I do have a faith, so I, I kind of have to bounce everything off of that. Is I believe that when much is given or when you have much, a lot of influence, much is expected. And I, and I think with that, um, in the same token, when you are given a lot, uh, you do become a leader in a sense. And as a leader, you give up the ability to overreact to anything um, because I think overreaction uh, oftentimes leads to negativity. And so I think those two things, if you keep those two things in mind, yes, I do have to make the conscious choice to never overreact. But I also do have to wake up every morning and say, I have a responsibility to represent some things that I really believe in, and I can't mess that up.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about some of those things. Um, you're yeah. involved in a lot of projects, and I remember your bio had said that you, everything you do, you know, you want it to make a difference. So let's chat about some of them. Uh, you've got a hit podcast called Almost Famous. I know a ton of my listeners also listen to that. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So I, I started Almost Famous with iHeartRadio um, at the beginning of last year, and this was really... Uh, it came off the concept that these, you know, kind of this, what, what, what is the, tra- the trajectory of influence, and how do you use it, and, and how to also do you, uh, you know, continue to, um, I guess, use our time on the Bachelor to to talk about things, and so we started a, a podcast that focuses on the Bachelor and Bachelorette, but also relationships, and and this was iHeartRadio's first big project and so far it's gone really well i mean you you know the podcast world you you run a great podcast it's a lot of fun and i get to talk for a living which i'm i love to do i it, not it's not often times that i get paid to talk um but i'm really happy that i get to do that so yes i, I have almost famous with uh, that is done by our hat radio my co-host ashley iconetti and then our producer amy sugarman who uh, some of the listeners might recognize that name she's the one that started um that was one of the first producers on Ryan Seacrest and Maya Lopez show. So she, she has some credibility behind it.
0: That's awesome. It's a great show. How does it give back in your mind?
1: Um, I, you know what? I, I, we get a ton of emails from listeners. I mean, I I'm hundreds and hundreds and hundreds on, we focus on relationship topics. And so uh, what Ashley and I try to do is be as vulnerable and transparent about our lives and about our relationships as, as we can be while at the same time being respectful to maybe the people we've dated in the past. And so when when we have a podcast, we always ask listeners to write in, call in, and then we read through those and try to answer as many as we can. I think what we try to do, if I could break everything down, what I guess try to do, and I think what Ashley tries to do, is I want people to realize that even if you might view us as famous um, or view us as uh, different, we're not we're dealing with the same stuff. We're all in this together. No matter where you are, no matter what walk of life you're in, um, we can relate with you. We've dealt with it ourselves and that our lives you know aren't that special. They they we're going to I guess we're going to take away the social media filter and say this is who we are and this is what we're doing and we want you to be confident in what you're doing as well.
0: Yeah, it's like it all just comes down to we're the, we really are all the same. We just want to be loved. We, we want to be loved and we don't want to feel alone. Yeah. I think those are the two things that we can all
1: relate with is nobody wants to feel alone and all of us are looking for
0: love. It's so simple. You know, I almost wish we could peel off all the masks and, and, and wear a t-shirt that says, Hey, I just want to be loved. <laughs> You're right. I
1: mean, it was interesting this, this morning I got a phone call, uh, from actually my mother and, uh, she called me and she goes, you know, I, I just did an interview with, uh, a, a magazine here last week and it came out today and, And she was reading through and she said, you know what the best part about that interview was, is by by however the interview went, it was simple that the way you can live life is simple. It doesn't have to be so difficult. We don't have to make it so hard. And yes, life will be hard. I'm not taking away from that. There are circumstances that will make life difficult and hard, but we don't have to force that on ourselves. And um, I think that's the beauty of it.
0: Absolutely. Our our reaction is going to make it a lot harder when it doesn't have to be. I I love that. Hey, this is a weird tangent, but how have your parents dealt with all this? You know, being Midwest parents and and all that.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm an only child. And so it's been a roller coaster. I think initially they were uh, excited um and then once it started to happen they got really nervous and they realized exactly what was happening and then when I was on the bachelorette when I when I didn't have contact with them for 3 months they started to ask the question is my son going to get engaged without me ever meeting this woman um you know that didn't happen but then they realized quickly that my son has a good chance of being the bachelor which adds a whole different type of weight to this whole situation so for that Part of my life, it was a roller coaster, and they walked with me through it. But I, I can't say that it was easy on them. I think it was confusing. It was difficult to process. Um, I think then they walk into the world with me, where there is criticism, there is judgment. You know, the, before that, I was just a Midwest guy that nobody had an opinion of, and then all of a sudden, as the Bachelor, everybody has an opinion. Maybe I'm not as good looking as they want me to be. Maybe they're not, they they don't see me as smart as I am. Not as well spoken as I should be. Maybe they think my intentions are completely wrong. My parents are having to read that and they get protective, but there's really nothing they can do. And so for the first time that I think they had to open up their hands and say, I I don't have control of this. I just have to trust where this is going.
0: Wow. That had to be quite the growing experience for them too.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. You should, I mean, for, again, you know, it's funny. They they had never been to New York City before this show happened, and, and I was able to take them on set at Good Morning America um, to do that. They'd never been to L.A. They were able to be on set at some of these shows and go to L.A. with me. Um, we've gone to uh, many tournaments, golf tournaments together, which we love. Our life has uh, as a family has been really fun, but it's also been a huge couple of years where our experiences and our all of our worldviews have expanded. Uh, but it's, it has been tough for them, but it actually has been really good. Um, and I think healthy. I think this is this is what life was meant to be. It was meant to stretch us, meant to live a greater story than what maybe we were living before.
0: Oh, amen. I love that. All right, so back to your projects. Now you also have the mahogany workplace blog. Tell us about this.
1: Yeah, so this was this is really uh, kind of the start of my pursuit of okay, I want to give back. And so my a couple of my friends and I started a blog. Um, you know, a lot of people in the bachelor world start a blog. For whatever reason, and so it kind of came to my attention. Well, I said too. So my friends and I start this blog that is built on, again, relating with people. It ties into the podcast. It's actually kind of how the podcast was formed. we had the blog first, and iHeartRadio reached out and said, "Hey, based on what I'm reading on the blog, would you want to be do kind of a relationship podcast, but also you know trickle in some bachelor stuff with it because that's what your listeners are going to be into." Um, but Mahogany Workplace is a place for me and my, my my friends and I to be as transparent as possible about the situations we're dealing with in life. And so if it's writing about being single amongst a bunch of married friends, or, you know, what life is like, uh, post bachelor, or, you know, what are my biggest fears and struggles in life? Uh, those are the things that we want to express on this blog. So that when people from all ages read it, they again, like we said earlier, can say, yeah, you know what, I'm not alone. I, I there's somebody else out there, like,
0: Oh, man, what a great resource. What makes a successful blog? I mean, there's so damn many of them out there. Why does one take off and another doesn't? Well, I I think for me,
1: uh, I was given a platform. Um, I have the ability to, with one push of a button, um, reach, I think it's 1.4 million people on Instagram and another 400,000 on Twitter. And so some of those people are very loyal followers of The Bachelor and myself. And so they were interested in following the blog and hearing more about me And I think what we tried to do as a blog is say, okay, this is my blog, but very quickly, how can we make this not just about me personally, but about my friends as well and get the following to just not be so focused on what I'm doing with my life, but what all of us are doing together in life. I think the the biggest thing about a successful blog is the authenticity behind it. And people can see through authenticity pretty quickly. And they, they can see when you're blowing smoke up their butt or when you're actually speaking, trying to speak truth to them. And so for us, when we post an article and we write a topic, it is all our, our whole management team is always looking at, is this, is this authentic? Is this really how we feel? Are we just saying it to say it? And so it's always checked on that line. And I think people can
0: see that. Yeah. It's such a great um, platform for you to give back. I love it. Now, what I really want to ask you about and what I've been so excited to get you on the show for is to tell us about your company, Generous International. And and I think some people call it Generous Coffee, but it's actually Generous International. Am I right?
1: You are completely correct, yeah. So uh, Generous International is the company, and then Generous Coffee is a subsidiary that operates underneath the Generous uh, International umbrella.
0: Okay, why coffee first? Yeah, so, I,
1: you know, Chris, just if you give me the chance here, I, I think it's going to make more sense if I start at the beginning. Do you yeah, mind if I please, do that? Please, please. Okay, so... Seven years ago, uh, one of my best friends started a nonprofit at a, hon- uh, at a Honduras, really Central America, and his vision for it was building com- communities uh, to be sustainable, communities that maybe uh, don't have resources like water or education or jobs or food, um, and so he started an organization called Humanity and Hope United. Uh, seven years later, let's fast forward, and this organization has grown to uh, be over a uh, half a million dollars in fundraising, which, you know, is a pretty uh, large size nonprofit. Um, They're involved in four different villages um, around Central America. And in January of last year, in 2017, we brought uh, a couple people who we uh, trust to be to kind of get speak some truth into us about what is the future of the nonprofit. Because a little side note, four years ago, the nonprofit was raising $40,000 a year. Um, I think one of the coolest parts about the bachelor and bachelorette for me um, is that all of a sudden, based on the platform that was kind of handed over and and the efforts of the Humanity and Hope ourselves was it's really it's grown now to, like I said, over half a million dollars. Well, that adds a whole new level of responsibility. So as we were down there uh, taking this trip and showing these elders our projects. They looked at us and they said, this is all great. This is all good. This is all sustainable. This is building a future that you won't even have to be a part of because these people will be so empowered and and so full of hope that they'll go do this on their own. But they said, here's the kicker. What happens when your fundraising stops? What happens when something happens that you no longer can raise the funds that you're raising today? What is the future of these people then? And so it made us think and it made us process. And their advice to us was, you have to find a for-profit idea or a large corporation to agree to support your nonprofit so that you can strategically plan for the future and that these people will be will have the support that they have now long term. So we came back home and we sat down with a few people and one of the guys uh, who is now one of the co-founders in Generous uh, had started a coffee company out of Papua New Guinea with a very similar business model and um, about five years ago he he was a missionary in Papua New Guinea and wanted to get the coffee from there to the states and so that's really how we ended up on coffee is because uh, it was kind of handed to us Um, it is also what uh, the group around us knew best and after doing some research we believed that we could compete and we could compete in the coffee market because there is a ton of opportunity that I'm sure we'll talk about but that is how we fell on coffee um, and, and in short, if people out, out there are asking, okay, well, how exactly is Generous helping? Um, as we uh, developed Generous International, we agreed and, and we set up our business model to so that all profits um, could be donated back to causes or nonprofits that are building sustainable change in, in places all over the world.
0: It's amazing. I, I want to stress that. All profits, all go to social all. issues. Am I right?
1: you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, profits is an ambiguous term. So uh, we break down profits like this, everything outside of our normal operating expenses. And so um obviously, payroll is is, is taken out. everything that is taken out before profits. and we're so maybe a better number would be our goal is to give ten to fifteen percent of revenue to nonprofits or social causes each year.
0: Oh, man, absolutely love that. So what have you learned from this endeavor of getting into the coffee business and tackling entrepreneurship?
1: Um, Well, I think to start with the coffee business, we fell into a world that we had no clue existed. And so our idea was, hey, let's sell coffee and let's donate the profits back. What we found out through on some trips to some local or not local, I guess, uh, farms all across uh, Central America is there's this huge dichotomy in coffee where some of the best coffee in the world is being grown in some of the most remote locations. And these loca- and these, these farms are, have no access to clean water, no access to education, no access to any type of transportation to ship their beans out. And so what's happening is their beans are being bought by some of the large coffee corporations because those corporations have the money to get to them uh, at pennies on a dollar when their coffee should be bought for $3, $3.50 a pound. And so we have you have millionaires that are growing high quality coffee and then you have villages that are growing high quality coffee. And there is this huge separation. There's this huge gap between the two. And so one thing we learned is, hey, let's make the effort to go in, buy coffee from these remote villages at a fair market value, get it back to the states, something we didn't expect. And then you're going to see these villages have more money. These villages have more hope. And, and we're going to be doing, and our model doesn't have to change. We're going to play, we were planning on buying coffee either way. We're just out there now to say, okay, we're going to take an extra step and buy it from places that maybe didn't have, didn't have anybody really going after them before.
0: That's fascinating. So that's solving a social issue in itself by buying responsibly and at fair prices instead of allowing these farmers to farm and, and be taken advantage of.
1: One hundred percent, yeah. And we and honestly, Chris, we fell into that. We had no clue that existed until we went on our first couple coffee trips to these farms. And a, a really great exporter out of Honduras named Bacamo. They said, you know, we hear your vision, we hear your mission. We have a place that we think is going to be perfect for you to partner with. And so they took us to this farm in, in the middle of the jungle. And this farm was growing eighty grade plus coffee, which you know, some of the best coffee in the world. Uh, or I guess the world champion was at like 93 to 94 last year. And so this is some of the best coffee in the world is being grown in places that nobody knows about. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, we, we did not expect to have that laid on our plate, but it makes such a cool story to say, yeah, the, the coffee that we're even buying to, to, to serve to, to the, the end client
0: is giving back. That is a great story. What What is one of the toughest parts of – running a not-for-profit company? Or is it easier than running a for-profit company?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, Generous International is a for-profit company. So we call ourselves for-profit, for-purpose. We want to buck the system and show that uh, for-profit companies can, they have the ability to give back. That every for-profit company out there that is operating has the ability to give back to something good. Um, that's what we want to show. That's what we want to do. We believe that that will be blessed. Um, now running a nonprofit, I think is actually more difficult because you're reaching out to individual people to buy into the mission where even if people don't buy into the mission of generous, they can still buy coffee. So we have three categories that we allow people to enter into it. It's like we, we allow them to give so they can give to, uh, the nonprofits that we partner with. They can go. They can go down to these uh, farms that we're getting our coffee from all over the world. We'll show them those farms. We'll take them on the experience. They'll sh- see where our money's been being given back to and the villages that we're supporting. Um, so that has a level of transparency and also, um, you know, strategically for us, a level of buy-in so that people say, yeah, they, these people actually are doing something good. I want to go back and talk about it as well. Or they can buy. They can just go buy coffee or they can buy a T-shirt from Generous. So those are three options and three categories we let people fall into. And, and I think for us, a for-profit model allows us to have all three of those categories. As a, as a nonprofit, it's more difficult, I guess, to add the buy into that.
0: Ben, I love this. You are giving everybody such a great education on for-profit with morals. In other words, you're giving them permission to view profit as a good thing or as a tool for good, and, and not as this this taboo word that sometimes it gets dragged through the mud as.
1: I mean, of course, just in essence, profit is sacred. I mean, that's how we're gonna. That's how we're gonna operate business. We want to run successful businesses. If not, then we don't have, we don't have the resources to do any good. And so, the better company that we can run, um, the more impact we can make. And so, the more profit we have the better. The more people buying coffee, the more people buying t-shirts, the bigger impact long-term. And I think that's where we have to get to. I think that's where we have to get to. I, 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 think, I believe this generation, and I fully, I will stand on this. I believe this generation is fed up with being taken advantage of. I believe this generation wants to give back in whatever way they see fit. They're, they're buying into social good. And so I believe our competitive advantage, Chris, is the fact that we are generous, that we are telling the story? I can compete with Starbucks because I have a story to tell behind the coffee. That that's what's pushing us. We're we we are we, we do sell coffee, but that's not who we are. We are a company that is dedicated to giving back, and that is at the bottom line. That is every decision we'll make, and as as a as a board, that's what we've agreed upon. That's where my accountability as the president falls. Um, is with every gen- with every decision I make or any decision that the two other founders make, we will be generous, no matter what.
0: Oh, Ben, I love that. You know, four cause companies or, or socially responsible entrepreneurship, however you want to phrase it, it literally is the next wave. And it's not a fad. Like every generation coming up, the millennials and extra, they demand it. And, and I feel like they demand it to the point where we're going to wake up in a few years. And if your company is not legit, legitimately attached to a, social cause, you're going to have a hard time surviving. Would you agree? Oh, I,
1: I, I don't think they will survive. And I, and I mean that. I think you either even see that with Amazon and Amazon's trying a, a bunch of different ways to try to give back um, through purchases online. But I think these large corporations are doing a ton of market research. Uh, I'll just, let's make it easy for them right here. Stop wasting your time looking for a thousand solutions to why your product's not selling. I believe that the reason some of these products aren't selling is because there isn't a bigger picture in mind. There isn't a bigger story. I believe, I, I, I truly believe in every conversation I've had about generous, it comes down to one thing. What is the story being told? And if the story is being told and it it, it compels the heart, then most people, they don't just want to buy the coffee from us or a t-shirt from us. They want to volunteer their time. To a for-profit company for us, they're saying, "I, I, I want to buy. I'm so bought in, and I so believe in what you guys are doing that I, I want to give up my own time because I want to see the world be a better place. I, I, and it is such a beautiful thing. We've waited a long time to get this point, and and I, I believe in the next twenty years these will be the companies that are most successful.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Me too. I'm geeking out over your company. What's next for Generous International brand? Yeah, definitely. So.
1: We partner, this is, and I got to give them a shout out. We partner right now with a company out of Kansas City called GoX. GoX is a t-shirt company um, that uh, is headquartered in Kansas City, has their manufacturing plant in um, Haiti. GoX builds t-shirts out of recycled plastic bottles. It's really crazy, cool concept. And when we sell a t-shirt, it's providing jobs in Haiti. They, They pay their employees $15 an hour. Plus benefits. So, so they get retirement, they get insurance, they get weeks off. You got to understand how big of a a deal this is for Haiti. And so one of our main goals in 2018 is to partner more with GoX to put more of an apparel line out there that is generous branded, but built by GoX. And so on the, on the, when, when an end user or an end client buys a t-shirt, they know they're buying a generous product and that they know the profits are still being distributed to causes that are building community development or sustainable change in the world. And then from the very beginning, those T-shirts are being made by people in Haiti who wouldn't have a job. And if they did have a job, it wouldn't be paying close to what they're getting now. And they have a really great facility with really great people working with them. So our one goal, in short, is to increase an apparel line for in 2018 that is Generous Branded. Uh, in addition, we are working on the details of something called generous travel, generous travel is going to be built, uh, with the idea that, uh, we can build in a margin on our travel that could completely change the trajectory of generous travel is such a cool experience, but people really want that experience. And so we want to bring people to the location that our coffee is being grown, then show them in return the villages that we're supporting. So they see the whole cycle and the whole picture. Um, and then as a result, we hope that they come back to the States and say, yeah, this generous deal, it's a real deal. They're, they're speaking truth. And now I'm involved. I'm a part of the generous movement. And, and I guess finally um, my goal is to cause a generous movement. Uh, I guess I want to open my hands up and say, yes, this company was started by three guys uh, who had an idea and had a, a dream, but this is no longer about us and, and, it, and it won't be successful with just us. And so this is about everybody partnering in this movement and wherever, wherever anybody's skill sets lie, I want them to use it to spread the name of Generous. And and Generous in itself, I hope in 2018 represents one thing and that when see, somebody sees a product labeled Generous, they know that it's going to something bigger. If that's coffee, if that's apparel, if that's a coffee mug, if that's a necklace, whatever it is, we're stamping the name Generous on it because we believe that's a high quality product and then the, the client knows that they're participating in a movement that will hopefully be a part of world change.
0: Mm, I love this. Like everything about your entrepreneurship, I'm noticing a trend and the trend is you're not just making a profit and then donating. You're also providing sustainable, higher than average jobs to lift up a community. So you help them on the manufacturing side and then whatever's left over, you're helping them on that side. It's it's brilliant. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing we're giving up is right now I'm still volunteering my time. Uh, that's something that hopefully, you know, I, I do, this is my full-time job now. So at some point I'm going to have to, um, accept an income, but this is still a startup. But one thing we want to do and what we want to show is we're going to hopefully be a company that is very successful, but also uh, that from the very heart and from the very beginning, this is where the accountability, I think of the, the, the board and of the members fall in and also the people that are going to be joining onto the generous movement, We are going to, we are not going to be greedy. We're not going to accept abnormally large salaries just because we need it. No, we want to make sure that we're always holding each other accountable to saying, where, where are we falling in line here by us doing this, you know, making this decision, are we taking away from the ability to give back? So you are correct Um, from start to finish. If we can be generous, we want to be generous. And I, I have to believe Chris, if we stick to that, If we stay stay transparent in that, that's our bread and butter. That's how we're going to be successful, as long as we stick to that.
0: Mm, I absolutely love that. In the beginning of your story, you started or you opened with talking about humanity and Hope United. And and I don't want to skim over that. I don't want that to just be the beginning of a story. You told us what it does. And I'd love if you could just... Describe it a little bit more. What it does, what it represents, and how it feels to have a hand in taking, in four short years, if I remember correctly, this, uh, this uh, charity from forty grand a year to to a half a million dollars a year. Yeah, that's been wild, and and we've
1: we've actually only uh, increased our staff by a uh, two or three during that period of time. So you have to understand that the the level of commitment. And the level of work that, that st- the staff of Humanity and Hope is putting in is incredible. Um, I actually had the opportunity to sit on the board of Humanity and Hope, and I have for the last year and a half. Um, and before that, I was just a volunteer. Um, I, I would go down on random trips. Yeah, Humanity and Hope United is is an organization that, like I said earlier, is built on the idea that we we can build up sustainable communities in rural parts of the world. And so if, if somebody is given... Um, some hope that they can run with it. And so we start with asking the question to the people in these villages, what do you need? Most of the time, initially it's water, it's jobs, it's for our kids to go to school. And so then we go back to the States. We strategically plan that we go back to them. And we say, okay, let's partner together to make this happen. We don't give them anything. We partner with them to get to, to partner with them to, to reach their dreams. Um, and so, if it's clean water, we we help them first find jobs so they can help us pay for the water tank. Uh, if it's education, uh, we help them find the jobs or we help them uh, do odd jobs so they can raise money to pay for their kids to go to school. All this is under the umbrella of we're not leaving you until the, the until the time is right. And once that time is right, that's our success stories. When a when a community of people say, "Okay, we no, we no longer need Humanity and Hope United. We got this. We can go serve other people now." That's that's when we're successful. That's that's when we'll celebrate. And and we're close. Uh, One of our villages actually is probably a year away from that right now. Um, And so I guess the ability to see communities grow, to build friendships, to not go down there and say this is we know best. You know, as as Americans, we know best and this is what you need. And this very hierarchical stance that we talk down to these people. No, we partner with them build relationships and so that we because long term we build relate we we believe relationships will what is what will make this successful
0: yeah it really will like i feel like we're living in the era where hierarchy is gone and and your wealth and your influence is really your network and that's exactly what you bring to them is this large network and this passion you genuinely care in order to make a difference i love it i love it where can we find it and, and how can we help get the word out Definitely. Yeah. So you can go to Humanity
1: and Hope um, to spread the word on Humanity and Hope and you can go to generousmovement.com to talk to, to spread the word on generous. You can purchase coffee uh, from that website. We are an e-commerce based coffee company. We don't have any brick and mortar shops. Our new website will actually launch uh, in, in about a week, a week or two. And so right now our website is a pop up site that we're operating off of. Um, that's how new we are, but but we do have a great website coming up uh, that will make um, your purchasing and your experience very easy. Um, so you know you might want to wait for that, but you can just spread the word. And and, and I want to encourage people out there too. You know, if generous isn't for you, um, I, hopefully if you drink coffee, then you'll say okay, and you're listening to this podcast, you say okay, I can drink coffee that gives back, it, especially when this coffee is. Fair priced, very, very close to what you'd be buying your coffee for at the grocery store. And it's really good. I promise uh, we won't sell. We would not be selling coffee if it wasn't high quality. So hopefully your listeners say, okay, I want to buy good coffee. That's giving back. Go buy generous coffee. I, I I urge you to, it will help us out. And if you don't, then, and I just think this is a time in life where we need a purpose. And that purpose, what better purpose is there than partnering with companies or nonprofits Um, that are fulfilling missions that we believe in. So go out there and find something you're passionate about. Um, Use your time and resources. We need you. Uh, The nonprofit world needs you. The for-profit, for-purpose world needs you. We will not be successful unless people like your listeners will get involved.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. Lori and I are going to be generous coffee drinkers from here on out. We'll post it on IG so everybody can see it. And the links to both Humanity and Hope United and to the Generous Corporation will be in the show notes. So all of the listeners um, go to the show notes and you guys can have the the links there to purchase or to donate. So a couple last questions for you, Ben. Um, and before we do, where can we find you? Where can we follow you personally?
1: Yeah. So you can go the, the best way probably is on Instagram. My Instagram is Higgins dot Ben. Uh, and then my Twitter is Ben Higgy. And, uh, and finally, I think maybe the most transparent way to find me or to follow me would be following the Mahogany Workplace blog uh, that can be found at uh, mahoganyworkplace.com. Uh, and you can read all about my, you know, relationships and where I'm at in life.
0: <laughs> I'm sure people are still nosy about that. So awesome. We'll make sure we have links to that as well. Okay. Last couple signature questions. We ask everybody these questions. I love yeah. the variety of answers. The first one is really just meant to inspire. It's meant to give people new ideas on how they could give back. We have a lot of successful listeners, and they're always looking for ways to give back. So, Ben, what is one of your favorite all-time moments of giving?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think I have to go back to the very beginning when my my heart broke. Um, This does not—none of this and none of—I love business. I've worked in software. I've worked in the financial services industry for for years. I I recently left my job to pursue Generous Full-Time. Um, so I no longer can claim financial services, but um, there's a lot of successful people out there, and there's a lot of people that have worked really hard their whole life. And I and I have to go back to when I was 15 years old. I was in Honduras. I was playing soccer with a bunch of kids in a village. It was my first trip to Honduras, and I was getting ready to leave, and these kids were pulling at my legs. They did not want me to go. They were screaming. They were crying. And I was so confused because we were just playing soccer. That's all we were doing. And I'm not good at soccer. And the leader on the trip looked at me and he said, Ben, uh, for you, this is just another day, another moment. This is just a cool experience that you're here in Honduras playing soccer for these kids that somebody, especially a, a male would come into their life and invest this much time into them. This will be a day they remember forever. And so I guess what I what I mean by that—that's when my heart broke. That's when I said, "Okay, not everybody out there has been has won the birth lottery like I have. Not everybody out there has been given the platform that I was just handed. I, I didn't do much of anything good to give the, get this platform. So for anybody out there that has any influence, if that's in your family or if that's in your friendships, whatever that is, I urge you to to find something you're passionate about." It makes life richer it gives life more purpose and it opens up the door to a lot of really cool opportunities like building friendships in rural Central America or in Africa how cool is that that I can now say that I have friendships all over the world um, and so for me that's that is the purpose of of giving is not only because of a choice but also because uh, when we are loving on others and we are building relationship life makes more sense
0: mm, I couldn't Agree more. That's the stuff that really matters, isn't it?
1: It, A hundred percent is it's, I I believe it's the only thing that matters. I believe it's the only thing um, that our, I guess, legacy uh, is worthy
0: of. Mm, Totally. All right. Last signature question. And that is why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and, or in your case, fame and, or wealth?
1: Yeah. um, So I think success can be defined in a lot of ways. Um, you can be famous. Uh, let's, I guess, wealthy. Uh, you can be famous. You could be impactful. I, I think we have to break it down like this Your story is your story. Everybody has a story. It's, it's, other than not wanting to feel alone and wanting love, everybody has a story. That's one thing we share in common. And I think nobody should be apologetic about wanting to live a great story, wanting to take and, and, and strangle the most out of this life to say this life is, uh, I guess, in my opinion, the one we got. And if we don't make the most out of it, we're not taking advantage of the opportunities we have. And so success, I think the question is not that you should be, that you should pursue success or not. It's what do you do with that success? That's where the question for me lies is the people that are out there that are wealthy. What are you doing with that? wealth? um, are you saving it? saving it for generations, giving it down to your kids, handing it out? Or are you trying to make the world a better place? Because you've been given wealth for a reason. You have a responsibility. And as I said earlier, I believe that when we have that responsibility, and I believe that the best people in the world should have that responsibility, individuals should have that responsibility, you are expected of a lot. And and I think that's exciting. And so don't be ashamed of success. Pursue success, but also know on the back end, When you are successful, there is a responsibility that
0: comes with it. Mm, I love it. The part where you said nobody should be apologetic about living a great story. That's so good. Ben, I can't thank you enough, man. I totally appreciate you. I know how valuable your time is. Your story is epic. Your impact is even more epic. You've got a brand new fan and a brand new customer, my friend. Chris, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for letting me come on. Anytime. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous,